0: About 12 years ago now, I visited Anglican Christians in Nigeria. And the diocese sent someone to meet us at the airport. And one of the first things she said was, oh, we thank God today. And I said, oh, why is that? And she said, well, a person was walking around one of our churches this morning, planning to attack, but the ushers noticed him and were able to stop him before he could commit any mayhem. And then she said, at another of our churches, a young man rode up on a motorcycle when I was just about to throw a bomb through the front doors, which are open in that climate. Um, but uh, the bomb went off right then, sadly killing him, but saving the lives of many innocent people. I was like, uh, I thank God too. <laughs> <laughs> at Tuesday morning, uh, I got to sit in on a meeting of the clergy uh, from the diocese, and several younger priests stood up. And they said, how long are we going to take this and do nothing? They are burning down our churches. They are uh, killing our people. They're they're wrecking our homes. How many times must we turn the other cheek? We're not going to have any other cheeks. And the older minister said, There is no other way given to us by Jesus. And since in the African cultures, age still stands for something, the younger ministers sat down, but you could tell they were not happy. In Europe, persecution of Christians looks a little different. When I visited Serbia, I learned that if you are a church and you want to open a bank account, if you wanna buy land for a church building, if you wanna publish literature, if you wanna be tax exempt, you have to register with the government, which means you have to give the government the name and ID member, number of every person who comes to your church, and especially anyone who donates. This move by the Serbian government split the Serbian evangelical pastors organization right down the middle. Some of the pastors were saying, well, why not? There are authorities established by God, and it's only a registration. And other pastors in the group were saying, why do they need that information? What are they going to do with that information? This is a matter of freedom of religion, and if we give in here, where will it stop? Now, in America, the pressure on Christians looks different still. The Cal State University system, a few years back, it's the country's largest, de-recognized University Christian Fellowship as student groups. They were no longer allowed to be student groups in their campuses. And IV's offense was that they asked their student leaders to affirm Christian doctrines, and Cal State sees that as discrimination. So IV groups no longer have access to rooms on campus, and they cannot be present at student fairs. Now, some of you know well that in certain careers, now, here in this country, having something identify you as a Christian on your resume may limit you. It may cause your resume to be tossed. It's not like when I was a kid. I do not recall what many Christians feel now, which is this uneasy feeling like, if people knew who I am and what I believe, I don't know that they would accept me. And this is our world. Friends, according to British journalist Rupert Short, of all the faith groups in the world, the one that is the most under threat is Christians. 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today are directed at us. As Eugene Peterson said, the late great Friends, you are living in exile. Get used to it. Now, what Eugene is saying there is exactly what the New Testament tells us over and over. Jesus says very clearly, Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. John writes, Don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And Paul says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So tonight, I, I don't know and will not hazard predictions as to what pressures may come to Christians in our time, but my goal is to lower our fear. I really mean that, lower it, and give us practical help. Lower our fear and give us practical help. That's what I'd like to do if we could. All right. During World War I, there was a physiologist at Harvard, a guy named Walter Cannon, and he was studying how animals respond to a threat. So let's say, for example, that a horse or a dog or a cat is confronted by a mountain lion, that kind of And what happens, he discovered, is that their sympathetic nervous system causes this cascade of hormones. It's a long list. But chief among them is adrenaline. And adrenaline has this ingenious quality when it gets dumped into the body. It increases the blood flow to the legs of the animal so that it can kick or scratch or run away. It strengthens them, but it decreases blood flow, increases blood flow to the legs, decreases it out to the, ex- like the extremities, the surface of the, the skin, so that if they are cut in whatever encounter happens there, they don't lose much blood, not nearly as much. All right, and Cannon gave this response a name, fight or flight. Now, it turns out that it happens not just with physical threats, but also with psychological threats, and that humans, since we also are vertebrates, share this quality. So, whenever we face a fearful situation, like, say, disapproval, possible social rejection, or even full-on persecution of some kind, we also will naturally feel this fight-or-flight response. Now, more recently, psychologists have asked, well, okay, but what happens to the person who knows they're not strong enough to fight and they're not fast enough to flight? So they don't have fight or flight as a good option. Well, in that case, uh, we may go to a third option, which is dubbed freeze. Like, like the bunny rabbit, if you get too close to it, it'll just like, boop. Just a little statue here. Okay. <laughs> and if none of those options are available to us, we're, the fourth and final option we have is called fawn. And when you fawn, you're kind of like the dog facing off against an alpha dog. You get real small and you hunker down. And this fawn response of kind of getting small and submitting is usually learned by those who grow up in, in an abusive family or with narcissistic parents or maybe a partner who is. So what happens then is you agree even if you don't really agree. You, you try to be overly helpful. You focus on soothing the other person and making them happy so that whatever threat you experience from them will stop. Okay. Now, I mention all this, and sorry if it was a little long for you, (laughs) that that road, but when you and I face any kind of ridicule, ridicule or rejection of our faith, our natural fear will drive us to fight or flight or freeze or fawn. So... I might ask you this question, if some pressure came to you because of your faith, which way do you think you would be most likely to respond? There's no right answer here, I'm just wondering. All right, well let's look at each one and see what the New Testament teaches us about it. All right, first flight, meaning fleeing from persecution. In the US that might mean changing jobs. In Nigeria, it means packing up your house and business and moving south where it is safer for Christians to live. Now, Jesus speaks very clearly about flight. He says, when you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. So flight is fine. All right, second, fight. Is it okay to fight back? Well, Peter tried that when he saw the mob coming to arrest Jesus. He, quote, drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. My guess is he was not going for the ear. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Which I think is one of his most beautiful healings. (laughs) But in that moment, Jesus is showing Peter, I really mean what I said in my sermon on the mountain. I really do mean, and I am prepared to live it out. Do not resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Now, Peter, who was not convinced at the moment the mob came for Jesus came around to Jesus' way of thinking. In his first letter, which was read tonight, he writes to Christians who are suffering, uh, he uses different words in the first few chapters, evil, insults, threats, and being spoken against. And Peter tells them, here's how I want you to handle that. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. In other words, don't fight, forgive. No paybacks, prayers. Jesus has taken fight off the table for us. And I have to say, that makes no sense to most of his followers most of the time. In Nigeria, I asked the bishop, how do you deal with young people who want to retaliate? And, and the first, he, he didn't even answer at first, he just groaned. Oh, He said, that is very difficult. He said, they are so embittered by what they're suffering that some of them say, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, I'm not a Christian anymore, so that they can go out and kill Muslims. In our country, we all applaud Martin Luther King's choice of nonviolence, but many civil rights leaders then and now You can just go down the long list. Stokely Carmichael, Malcolm X. They thought non-violence was stupid and would never really change things. And King's choice to not resort to violence cost him dearly. Shortly after the Montgomery bus boycott, he was working at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church where he was the pastor. And Coretta was home, in their home, with a woman from their church and their daughter Yolanda was sleeping in the back room when they heard, quote, the sound of a brick striking the concrete floor of the front porch and then there was this huge explosion and the house literally rocked and then the whole front window had been blown out and the house was filling up with smoke. And thank God, no one was hurt. Um, In fact, it's interesting how much courage Coretta had Her dad and Martin's dad immediately got to the house as soon as they could after they heard about the bombing. And her dad told her, If you do not come with, if Martin does not take you and the kids to Atlanta where you can be safe, I'm taking you to Marion. And Martin's dad told her the same thing. (laughs) You should go with your dad. And she said, No, I'm going to stay here. But anyway, that Sunday, Martin preached a sermon called It is Hard to Be a Christian. Here's how he started. One of the most prevalent illusions of modern life, he said, is the belief that it is easy to be a Christian. In so many quarters, Christianity has been relegated to a bundle of sentimental teachings. We have substituted a cushion for a cross. We have substituted the soothing lemonade of escape for the bitter cup of reality. And King stuck with nonviolence. He said the nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but he also refuses to hate him. And he had constant threats on his life, so he had to have bodyguards, but he would never let them carry guns. Friends, I'm telling us on the authority of Jesus Christ, it is fine if we choose flight. It is never fine to choose flight. Now, I should note before I move on, It is fine to bring pressure to change laws that are unjust or to ask authorities to stick to the existing ones. That's what Paul does when he's about to be whipped by Roman authorities to get a confession out of him because there's been this big melee in the temple and the soldiers can't figure out what's going on. They figure he caused it, which he kind of did, but it wasn't his fault. And when they tied Paul down to lash him, he says to the officer there, By the way, is it legal for you to beat a Roman citizen who hasn't even been on trial? Which, of course, it was not. And that saved him an illegal beating. Five years ago, there were a group of Wheaton students who would go to Chicago every Friday uh, and start evangelistic conversations downtown or do street preaching or pass out tracts. And sometimes they would go to Millennium Park near the Bean and and talk to people there. Well, park security came over and said, hey, 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 uh, you cannot pass out tracks here. So they were like, okay, well, we won't, and they didn't. But then security saw them still in the park talking to people and said, hey, you can't talk to people in the park. Basically, you can't share your faith. So the students didn't know what to do, but ultimately with the help of a professor and an attorney and whatever, whatever, they decided that First Amendment speech needed to be protected. So it led to actually a long federal legal case during which the park officials had to admit under questioning, well, it would be okay to pass out the novel Moby Dick, you just can't pass out religious literature, which didn't help their case. And after five years last month, the, ju- the judge ruled in the students' favor and the city of Chicago had to clarify We won't restrict First Amendment activity on the sidewalks throughout the park. So advocacy, yes. Pressure, yes. Violence, no. All right, we've talked about flight. We've talked about fight. What about those final responses, freeze and fawn? I'll I'll combine them for the sake of time. Peter, he also tried those out. After Jesus is arrested and he's being interrogated, Peter slips in as close as he can. I think he's thinking he's going to rescue him somehow and sits by the fire and there he is spotted. You have to be one of Jesus' followers. I can tell. You talk like one. But Peter fawns and says what the other person wants to hear to avoid the threat. He says, I swear I'm not. I don't even know the guy. Well, after Jesus restores Peter, Peter has learned his lesson and he tells other Christians in his first letter who are facing the same kind of pressures, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. In other words, when we have the chance to speak, try not to freeze, try not to fawn, be forthright. Karen and I have a, a friend named Courtney who, who went to grad school in England, uh, excuse me, not in England, studying English. It was here in the States. And uh, we're separated by a common language, us and the Brits. Okay. And she told us, Many times, as I started into the program, like, it was common that students would actually ridicule Christians or ridicule the name of Christ even. Um, and she said, I, I began to realize many of them had never met a real Christian. And so they assumed all Christians were stupid or narrow-minded or bigoted, like some of the characters on TV, or some of the real Christians they see on TV. Okay, and she said, I, I became really terrified what will happen to my reputation if people find out I'm a believer? Like, I I don't know what will happen. Well, one day, it was right before class, a lot of students were in the room, but the class had not started yet, and somebody, one of the other students, turned to her and said, hey, are you a Christian? And she says, I took a really deep breath, and I said a soft, shaky yes. The student said, "Huh. That's interesting. I always thought Christians were like circus freaks, but you're actually kind of smart." <laughs> All right, let's recap, friends. Flight, fine. Fight, no. Forgive. Freezer, fawn. Try not to be forthright. Now, I have spoken this evening about persecution, not because I want to make you afraid or dwell on it, actually. But our Bible texts ask us to face its reality. It is just true that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will be people who do not understand. But maybe the most important thing I could say tonight is, try not to fear, really, really, really. If my sermon has made you afraid, then it's actually doing the opposite of what one of my goals is and really what Jesus wants us for us. He says, don't be afraid of those who threaten you. Jesus even says, he he tries to, like, he says, don't you realize there's a blessing, there's a reward if you stand with me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. He's like retraining our emotional response to threat. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. I've been comforted over the uh, Several years I've had in my journal this quote from the great preacher John Chrysostom, who suffered much for his faith, by the way. And he told his people in the 300s, he said this. He said, these are the Lord's word to us. Do not be troubled that I send you out in the midst of wolves and tell you to be like sheep and doves. I could have done just the opposite and not have allowed you to suffer any hurt. I could have prevented you being the victims of wolves and made you fiercer than lions. But I chose a better way. My way makes you more glorious and proclaims my power. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the way I made you. I send you out as sheep. Do not despair, for I know very well that that in this way you will be invincible against all your enemies." There is an upside-down wisdom of Jesus Christ that when we are weak and under threat, as we walk and stay with him, he reveals his power in an astonishing way. The week after I was in Nigeria, uh, a Christian won the election as president of Nigeria. And as a result, more than 350 Christian churches were attacked or burned to the ground. In Jos, where I was, Muslims burned down the Baptist church and the house of its pastor, a man named Sunday Gomna. And listen to what he said about that, Pastor Gomna. I One, I am grateful no one in my church killed anyone. Two, I am grateful that they did not burn my church, only the building. Three, I am grateful they burned my house. For if they burned yours and not mine, how would I have known how to pastor you? That reveals the power of God. Amen.